0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu
1: slash podcast.
2: It's sort of a gold rush. It's Uh, totally a gold rush right now. Medical spas are exploding in popularity. It's a booming industry. While laws meant to keep you safe are lagging. Is there a risk to consumers here? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wisconsin requires a doctor to supervise cosmetic laser procedures. The physician should be on site, readily available. But just what does supervision mean? He does come to our office once a year, um, but he is not in the room, no. Does that sound like enough supervision? No. This week on Open Record, what one cosmetic laser provider did that could have cost him his license, if only he had one.
1: It's just
0: disturbing that he's allowed to continue doing what he's doing.
2: From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson and I'm here with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi, Amanda.
0: Hey, Brian, and we are recording this episode on Thursday, September 30th. And this week, we're talking about the surging popularity of medical spas and the patchwork of laws that apply to everything from Botox injections to laser hair removal. But first, Brian... We've got to start at the beginning. How did you end up investigating the medical spa industry in the first place?
2: It wasn't something I actually set out to do, but I was doing a story that we've talked about here on Open Record before about an unlicensed or or an optician who was practicing without a license as an optometrist. He was misleading uh, consumers into believing that he was, in fact, an eye doctor, and he wasn't, and he'd been doing it for years. And I had done a number of stories on that man, a man named Lee Hagopian, who's since been criminally charged with practicing optometry without a license. And while I was doing those stories, I got a tip. From someone who said, you need to look at this guy in Sheboygan. He's got a cosmetic, uh, you know, medical spa business. He does laser hair removal and other cosmetic laser procedures uh, and microneedling and other various things that you might find at a med spa. And, but, but he doesn't have a license to do any of it. And so my first question was, okay, here's another sort of unlicensed provider story to look into. I knew with the eye doctor or the non-eye doctor... That in Wisconsin, you're required to do or to, to be an optometrist, to have a license as an optometrist, to have certain training and education and, and pass certain tests and, and whatnot to be licensed as one. So you can't do eye exams without that. But I didn't know what you need to have to do laser hair removal or Botox injections or these other things. So my first stop was to reach out to the people who regulate that, which is the Wisconsin Department of Safety and Professional Services and ask, Do you even need a license for this?
0: And how did that turn out?
2: Well, so... It's not as simple of an answer as you might think, because number one, medical spas don't just do one thing, right? They do a lot of different things. And each of those procedures has a different potential set of rules or regulations that apply. And it took a little while for the spokesperson for DSPS to get back to me with some answers. And and ultimately, she went procedure by procedure. For instance, if you are doing uh, Botox injections, it does require, I you know, I believe it's a nurse or, or someone uh, with, you know, that ability to inject, uh, you know, medication into your body um, to to have that kind of a license. And then there was, if it's like cryotherapy, which is very popular now, it didn't really require any license necessarily. You probably just need a business license. Um, Then others were a little more murky. And one of the more popular procedures, laser hair removal, laser tattoo removal, um, that's been around for a number of years. They're not brand new, but they're really booming in popularity. Laser, and this is how strange the laws are and how sort of behind they are right now in dealing with this the same device the 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 laser devices that remove hair also remove tattoos but the laws are different for who can use them and how for laser hair removal it's considered a medical procedure but in wisconsin doctors are allowed to delegate medical procedures to someone else under their supervision Um, it's not clear at this point who they can delegate that to and who they can't, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But laser tattoo removal, well, the law is silent on that. It doesn't say anything about who should or shouldn't regulate that. So the same device, presumably the same person with the same level of expertise, law regulates one, it doesn't regulate the other. So there's some real questions here about what the law says, and what what this really exposed to me was the bigger picture question of, If medical spas are so popular, and there are more than 5,000 of them across the country right now, um, that's the latest count that I've seen, then why aren't the laws keeping up and, and are there some potential safety problems here?
0: And so as you dug into that, what did you find?
2: The first thing was to find out what this person does or doesn't need. And and we did find out that to do laser hair removal, as I, as I mentioned before, you need to have medical supervision. And it wasn't clear in looking at the website of this practitioner in Sheboygan. He has a, a, a place that's gone by a couple of different names, but the most recent name is Regenesis Laser and Wellness in Sheboygan. And it didn't wasn't clear from their website if there was a doctor who supervised or was on site And so we actually sent someone in with a hidden camera to go in for a consultation to see what they were told. And this person was someone who legitimately is interested in getting laser hair removal um, and, and when to ask some questions. So they carried a hidden camera in and met with Aaron Gabriels, who's the owner of the business and who if you just saw him at first glance, you go in and it has a sort of feel of a medical clinic. There's you know, med- medical devices sort of hanging on the walls and and it's it's a clinic type setting. And He wears blue nursing scrubs so or medical scrubs. He looks like, quite honestly, an internist. He looks like a doctor. He's not a doctor, but it's easy to get the impression, while well, I'm here for a medical procedure, he's wearing these blue sort of doctor type scrubs. He must be a medical professional. Um, but he never calls himself doctor. He never represented himself that way. And during this consultation... He did explain, in fact, volunteered that he has a medical director and who is a licensed physician in the state of Wisconsin, a gentleman named Dr. Jonathan Cotter. The thing is, Dr. Cotter is not in Sheboygan. Dr. Cotter practices in Wausau and Stevens Point, which is, if you look at the map, about a two and a half hour drive from Sheboygan. So it raises the question, well... Just how much supervision is going on here? And that was really kind of the next question in the story.
0: Were you able to find out, I mean, how often is he there? How what counts as supervision?
2: Well, those are two good questions. And we got one answer while we were there. The (laughs) producer who we sent in to do this uh, undercover consultation didn't really ask much about the, the doctor. He just asked, well, is, is this doctor in the room at the time? And, and Aaron Gabriel said, no, he's not in the room at the time, but you can trust me. I've been doing this for years. I've done thousands of these procedures. I'm an expert. In fact, he said, I know more than my doctor knows about these procedures, which again, raises further questions about the value of supervision. If your doctor doesn't know much about the treatment that you're providing, um, it sounds more like it may well just be a uh, sort of regulatory convenience rather than actual supervision, but that's a side issue. So but but he didn't ask much more than that. Gabriel's volunteered more information on his own. He just came right out and said, the doctor only comes here about once a year. We're yeah, they have a personal relationship. He checks in once in a while, but he trusts me. He knows I know what I'm doing. And he wouldn't let me he said this. He wouldn't let me work under his license if he didn't believe I was going to, or he believed I was going to make some kind of a mistake. So the impression you get is, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm the expert. I don't need supervision. He's just sort of here in name only. Um, At least that's the impression I got from the hidden camera side of things. I wanted to hear from the doctor himself because, number one, does he really know that his name's being used here? Is he, in fact, the medical director, and and what does he think of all this? So I reached out to Dr. Cotter, uh, who took my call and spoke to me at length on the phone, uh, wouldn't do an on-camera interview, but he did say that he believed Aaron Gabriels was competent, that he had full faith in him, and that uh, he, while they did consult occasionally on, uh, you know, when there were questions about a certain patient, um, I don't even know if you can call him a patient when when he doesn't have a, a medical license, but but these clients, uh, they would consult. But he he agreed it was remote supervision, and he felt that was adequate. That left the question, of course, though of what does the law say about that? And, and that's the the next question was to go to DSPS with that. And, and that hasn't been as easy of an answer to get.
0: And why is that?
2: Well, so DSPS has a pending complaint against Aaron Gabriels. Uh, it was filed by the person who reached out to me and got me interested in the story in the first place, a woman named Kim Dietz. So Kim filed this complaint. Uh, she says it was in December, but it's actually dated. If you look at the letter dated January 12th of this year. She initially filed the complaint anonymously with the department because she is a massage therapist and at the time was leasing space in the building that Aaron Gabriels has his laser and uh, wellness clinic. And it's a building that Aaron Gabriels and his wife actually purchased at one point, taking, therefore, they assumed the lease that that uh, Kim Dietz had. And there was a falling out between the two, which may well explain the motivation for her to reach out to us. But as I've said many times over the years, people reach out to us with a lot of different motivations that uh, may may be self-interested or maybe they've had a bad experience with someone. It doesn't mean that what they have to report to you is wrong. And this is one of those cases. She and and Aaron had had uh, a bit of a falling out as business associates. uh, But She wanted the public to know not just that he was operating without a license. That's what she wrote in her complaint to the state. But there was something more she discovered along the way. Sometimes when someone upsets you, you try to find out what you can about them. And she stumbled across something that she felt the public should know from 2006.
0: And this is the part of the story that made me gasp when we got to it.
2: It's the kind of thing that you could uh, – this could have been the pitch for the whole story. I, if, if we were just going for a sensational angle, I could have just – you know, the, right off the top of the podcast, we could have talked about this. I think there's a genuine issue with the regulation of medical spas in the state and whether or not safety regulations that had kept up. But there's a real salacious element to Aaron Gabriels and, and what Kim Dietz's concern was because in 2006, Gabriels, working as a laser hair uh, removal provider um, – cosmetic laser provider, was posting ads on Craigslist offering to trade laser hair removal services for sex. And at the time, it's 2006, Milwaukee police were heavily involved in busting some of these very types of online escorts. They were doing escort stings, uh, Backpage, Craigslist. They looked for these kinds of things. And a Milwaukee police detective happened to see his ad and responded And they engaged in conversation, and not long after that, they agreed to meet at a hotel, then called the Country Springs Hotel. hotel. Now it's the Ingersoll in, uh, I think that's Waukesha. Uh, So they went to the Country Springs Hotel to meet up, and according to a criminal complaint, Gabriels told this woman, who he did not know was an undercover police officer, that she could provide him sexual services at $250 per hour until her $2,500 laser hair removal balance was paid off. So this wasn't a one-time thing in his mind. This was a, we can keep doing this over and over again until you've paid off your bill. Um, and they obviously didn't engage in, in any sex at that point. He was arrested. When they arrested Gabriels at the hotel, it goes one step further. They found a video camera was rolling, recording on a chair under a desk. So he wasn't just engaging in prostitution, he planned to record it and who knows what he intended to do with that. That in and of itself had he actually met with someone who wasn't a police officer. If you capture an image of nudity in Wisconsin without a person's consent, that's a crime. It could be a felony. So this was a pretty serious situation. Ultimately he was charged with a misdemeanor prostitution. He pleaded guilty, he was convicted, he got a fine. He served no jail time. Um, And it was 15 years ago. So it leaves the question of how does that impact what he's doing now? And in terms of my view of this, Amanda, as a journalist, you know, what what does it have to do with the regulation of his business today? Well, it would be one thing had he done this and it had nothing at all to do with his profession. But he used his profession as bait. He said, I'll trade what I can do for what you can do for me, which directly related this crime to his business. And typically what would happen in a case like that, if you were a nurse in Wisconsin, or if you were a massage therapist, or if you were a doctor, the Department of Safety and Professional Services, the nursing board, the medical board, the dental board would take action against your license because you've now involved your profession in a crime. They would take action against your license. The trouble here is that Aaron Gabriels doesn't have a license and he doesn't, have a license of any kind, he's not an esthetician. Many people who do laser hair removal services in the state are estheticians. That's about the minimum level of of licensing it seems you need. Some are nurses. Some are advanced practice nurse practitioners. Um, Some are physician assistants. But Aaron doesn't have any kind of a license. According to a database that we searched on the state website, he's not licensed at all. So it really raises the question of, uh, you know, should there be more oversight in this area?
0: Because, I mean, setting the weird sex stuff aside, there is an overall safety issue if you're dealing with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And that's what these regulations are supposed to protect against, right?
2: Well, and that was what was so interesting in talking to Aaron. I did talk to Aaron Gabriels on the phone. He refused to do an on-camera interview because I would not agree not to ask him questions about the prostitution case. He said that was, you know, his deal breaker. Otherwise, he said he was eager to talk about what he feels. This is going to sound ironic. What he feels is a need for more regulation, better regulation, <laughs> better standards in the laser hair removal industry. He believes that medical spas need more regulation and in particular laser procedures and he says that he's pushed for that because he believes there's a lot of people out there who don't even have medical supervision at all. They don't have a doctor like he has who they can consult with when there are issues. He has, in fact, reported other providers to the state for not having medical directors, which you may view as, as he says, as uh, you know, concern for the public. Or you could view it as an action to try to take out a competitor. You view that however you see fit. But the fact is he's actually reported others for this. He says he believes there should be more training and he believes he has some of the best. He's been around doing this for 22 years, he says, over and over again. He claims to have, if you read various websites, he has one for Regenesis, one for the Cosmetic Laser Center of Wisconsin um, or Cosmetic Laser Centers, because he travels around the state and sort of provides these services at different clinics all around the state. He drives the equipment around in a van and then provides this in other places Um, on these various websites he or whoever his webmasters are for this uh, list him as having trained under some of these big time doctors, including someone at the University of Wisconsin, a doctor who invented the term SPF for the sun protection factor, a, a, a you know well-known and renowned dermatologist who's now deceased. I reached out to the University of Wisconsin to find out, did he in fact work under this doctor and get all of this great training? And UW said that was so long ago, they can't tell me whether he worked there or not. Um, Others I've spoken to said he may have brought equipment, his laser equipment to UW for them to use at one point or another. But he he presents himself as someone who has this high level of training. It's not, in fact, clear just how much training he has or if he's embellishing that. I asked him if he could be more specific and he didn't respond to that. But but the idea that you should need training. You should need a minimum number of hours of training. There should be some sort of licensing. That's one that people in the industry agree with. The American Board of Laser Surgery um, is based in Alabama. I spoke to their executive director, who has been pushing for more than five years now to see states all across the country tighten up their regulations and specifically require medical supervision on-site whenever this kind of procedure is done. Not that a doctor necessarily has to do every one of these procedures. It's not that high level of sophistication. But because people could get burned, people could get hurt, or they could have discoloration in their skin, there are negative effects that can happen. If it's a medical procedure, they say there should be direct oversight and there should be training requirements. In Wisconsin right now, there are none.
0: So I have a a few neighbors who saw your story they loved your story they were talking to me about it and they had a lot of questions about the hidden camera element of this so I know we've touched on this in different episodes before uh, but how do we decide okay we're gonna use a hidden camera here and and what are the parameters in which we operate because I think that would be helpful for people to know
2: well, it's something I think we used to use a lot more years ago, and over the years we've determined that there are certain situations where maybe it's not appropriate, but but I've done it for a long time, and I've had these conversations before. It is not something we use lightly, and it is not something that we do without a considerable, a considerable amount of forethought. Why are hidden cameras occasionally necessary? Well, for one thing... When you bring in a camera, it, as an example, in this case, I asked Aaron Gabriels for an interview and he declined to talk to me unless we were going to agree to certain conditions. So that condition being that we wouldn't bring up a really important thing people ought to know, right? I mean, Amanda, would you want to go to a medical spa knowing that the person who runs it had uh, engaged in an act like this years ago? Would you want to have laser you know, hair removal done on a sensitive area of your body with a person who had something like that? We felt the public should know that. He wasn't going to volunteer that information um, in an on-camera interview. The reason for hidden camera is we want to know what potential customers of that business are being told. What are they being presented? What's being promised? Is he calling himself a doctor or not? Um, Is he saying, you know, in in this case, he didn't call himself a doctor and our hidden camera uh, was able to capture that. And we wanted to make sure that the public saw he volunteered the information about who his medical director is and how often he comes in the building. There was no secret to that. So that was up front. That's what we captured. And we want to make sure people see that. But the point of taking a hidden camera in is to get a natural experience for what a customer might see. Not just someone
0: performing when they know that a camera is on them.
2: Correct. Because when you turn a camera on and someone knows it's on people are different than when they don't know it's on. Now, you don't want to, you know, that can feel like you're sort of entrapping someone if you're doing it in a situation that it's not warranted um, or where privacy should be expected. In this case, this is a a, a client of a business going in and, and willingly, you know, the only real privacy issue here would be if the doctor was recording a client or patient without their knowledge and sending it somewhere. The other way around, there is no privacy expectation. And And again, if we had asked him, some of these questions, uh, you know, we, we never would have gotten them on camera talking about some of this. So it was the only way we could do it. But with the, the parameters we have to be careful of is we send someone in with a hidden camera. In this case, a person who uh, is not experienced in doing this. They don't do this all the time. We had to set the recording before they went in the building and leave the recording on until they left. So I can see a continuous stream of everything that happened. There's no conversations off camera. Hey, I'm doing this story. I want you to say this. We know for sure from beginning to end what occurred in in that situation. And it is... Something, like I say, we use rarely, but sometimes you come away with information you would never get any other way. And
0: it was someone who was genuinely interested in having a procedure done. It's not a situation where someone's going in and and misrepresenting themselves.
2: No, and we have to be careful about that, too, because even uh, what might seem like innocuous misrepresentations um, can have real legal consequences. And and I won't uh, get too deep into that, but anyone who's familiar with the sort of broadcast journalism side of of communications law knows that um, ABC News uh, got in big trouble in a situation with Food Lion years ago where they sent producers in with hidden cameras to capture meat being uh, repackaged and to put back out on the shelves that was expired. Um, and, but they did so by lying on their applications about their experience as, you know, people who worked in the you know, butcher shop or in, in the meatpacking area. And those lies got them in trouble. There was a lawsuit that was filed and ABC lost. Um, so we don't have people lie about who they are and what they're doing. And the person who went in in this case was someone who genuinely was interested in laser hair removal and still is and actually followed up with me afterwards to say, hey, what did you find out about this guy? Because I'm trying to decide if I still want to go there. <laughs> um, and, and I and I leave those decisions to, the, to those people. I'm not telling him whether he should or shouldn't. But I said, watch my story and you can sort of make your own judgment there. Um, But this was someone who wanted to know, we just wanted to know what that discussion looks like, what promises are being made, what the what the, uh, you know, provider is saying, and and we were able to capture that.
0: Looking at the big picture here, I've been at Fox 6 for three years, and I feel like I've seen you do what feels like dozens of stories about licensing issues. Uh, DSPS definitely knows who you are. You go to them a lot for comment about stories Is this a smaller piece in in a bigger puzzle with issues with licensing enforcement or lack thereof? I don't know if you would even call it that in this case because it's someone who flat out just doesn't have a license.
2: Well, I think that's where what what these stories have demonstrated or, or exposed, I think, is that DSPS is well positioned to deal with licensees because they have a process They receive complaints, they investigate those complaints, and then they can take action against that licensee. They can suspend, they can reprimand, they can revoke, they can order education, they can do certain things because they have a carrot to dangle over that person's head. If you don't do what we say, we'll take away your license. Or if you want your license back, you need to do these things. Where they really struggle is in dealing with people who don't have licenses. And you're right, I've done a number of these stories even before you got to Fox 6, Amanda. It seems like something that I I do on a rather frequent basis, but I dealt with a substance abuse uh, therapist who was doing therapy from the front seat of his pickup truck um, and didn't have a license at all and been warned over and over again to stop doing therapy, Um, but he continued to do it and— You know, you can only order someone to do something so many times. You have kids, man. It's like you tell your child, don't do that thing. But if you let them keep doing that thing, well, they keep doing it. There has to be an enforcement mechanism at some point. And so DSPS struggles to deal with unlicensed providers. And in the case of uh, the optician who was practicing as an optometrist, it took quite a bit of My coverage, you know, our coverage here on Fox 6 over the course of four to five years before the Kenosha County uh, Sheriff's Department investigated and the Kenosha County DA finally charged uh, that optician with a misdemeanor. Um, He was ultimately convicted here just recently. So we have another situation now where there's someone operating without a license. The question is a bit different here, though. In the case of the substance abuse counselor, in the case of the optician, It was clear they were both practicing without a license that they needed to have under the law. Here it's a bit different because it's still not clear if the way the law is written, if a, a license is required at all. If it's not, it's certainly and the experts we've talked to certainly say that's a huge gap in the law. That's a problem and it's a problem that ought to be remedied. But that's not DSPS's fault at that point. That's something the legislature would potentially need to take up, or maybe uh, something that could be added into state administrative code that isn't there right now. But it's not clear at this point. And I asked that direct question of DSPS Does Aaron Gabriels need a license to provide laser hair removal services, even with medical supervision? And the answer was they declined uh, because there's a pending complaint. So this is now the subject of an ongoing investigation at DSPS. I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on TV. And when I <laughs> read through the administrative code on this, it does say that medical supervision of these uh, procedures is allowed if the supervision is being done. You know, it, it says that the, the doctor must supervise a licensee. Which suggests that the person needs to have a license of some kind, but there's no specific mention of what kind of license. Does that mean they could be, I don't know, could they be licensed to do, um, you know, tattoos, haircuts? You know, I, it's it's not clear what kind of a license would be needed, but the word licensee is in there, and I think that's something that's probably right now something DSPS is looking at. I I, I want to wrap it up with this because I I think when I did the story, I interviewed uh the, the owner of one laser hair removal business or a medical spa, Aspen, um, which is in Mequon. And the owner was adamant there that not only is training important and licensing important, but that as a consumer, you should be asking questions. When you go into a medical spa, because they are exploding and some are, uh, you know, more uh, diligent, I would say, than others about making sure the people who are doing these procedures have training, have supervision... Ask questions. Ask, do you have a medical uh, supervisor um, or, or a medical director? Are they on site? How often are they on site? Do you have protocols for the machinery that you're using? Um, you know, people come in with different skin types and some tan throughout the summer. Some have darker skin tones. Some have different amounts of hair in different places. Do, do you have protocols for, for how to deal with those things? And are they written and supervised by a doctor? Ask, who does the procedures? Are they licensed? What kind of license do they have? And and this is what the owner of, of that uh, facility said, the Aspen's owner, Amy uh, Brunner-Cook. She said, if they balk at those questions, if they seem uncomfortable with the questions that they don't want to answer, that's your sign to go somewhere else. Look for a provider who's happy to tell you about those things, because then you know you're probably in safer hands. <music>
0: All right, it is time for us to go off the record. So this is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal, have a little fun by answering a question that we have not prepared for. So to ask that surprise question, we welcome back executive producer Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hello, hello.
1: Um, Let me just start this by pointing out to our listeners that... uh, Open Record is a national Murrow winning podcast. The question I'm about to ask (laughs) may put that into question. Um, This is going to be good. I hope it doesn't jack up credibility. But I, okay. So I think last week I had mentioned how I was, you know, the well was kind of running dry. I was looking for other questions. I came across this one. I looked at it and I was like, this is so stupid. But then I, I thought about it and I looked at all these answers that were under on this Facebook post and everyone has a different opinion. So, here we go. The buildup has been great. I know, we're digging deep. (laughs) Um, How many chuggas before the (laughs) choo-choo? Here's my answer. (laughs) Chugga-chugga, 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 choo-choo, that's six.
0: So think about it. Oh, for me it's four. (laughs) Chugga-chugga, chugga-chugga, choo-choo. I'm more efficient with my chuggas. (laughs)
2: I was just going with two. Chugga, chugga, choo, choo. I mean, just real, let's get right to the point. That's let's go. We got stuff yeah. to do.
1: That's what I'm saying. And, but I think if I'm trying to be like fast and funny, like with the kids, I'd be like chugga, chugga, choo, choo, chugga, chugga, choo, choo. Like if you're excited about it, that's a fast train, right? But <laughs> if this train's long and it's going on a journey, I feel like six chuggas is the way to go.
2: I For a moment, I thought we were we were like. When you started with Chugga, I thought I, I pictured David Bakhtiari at a Bucks oh. game. And I thought so, suddenly we <laughs> yeah. were talking, this is going to be college conversations. And I don't know if I'm prepared to, to yeah, go there yeah. right now. This is very different. But I I, I I, don't know. When you started that, I just don't know that I had any idea that I was going to know the answer to this question because I, I don't know what a Chugga Chugga is. Then you add choo choo, everyone knows immediately what that means. <laughs> um, I don't know. It could also depend on mood. Right. Yeah. Like you're in a hurry. Right. I feel I feel I got a lot to do today. I feel like it's two chuggas. But, you know, I've got <laughs> oh, a man, no. I got a my time on the beach. I know where to go. It might be eight chuggas. You know, I don't know. Let's
0: just chug all the way to. Tuesday. Well, that's, <laughs> so my my two year old just inherited uh, the train set that my husband had as a kid. So his parents brought over like the wooden train set that he had and she loves it. But she specifically loves it because mom and dad sit down and play with her. And since there's a baby sister in the mix, she knows that she gets that attention with, with the train. But sometimes mom and dad don't have time to sit down and play that. So it's she'll be lucky sometimes if she gets one chugga.
2: I got to tell you, because oh. now now that we're talking trains, uh, This uh, I'm going to end up throwing my stepson under the bus here. But I, I love George Carlin. He's my favorite. Favorite comedian of all time. I just have a great a- a- affection for his comedy. Uh, I listened to George Carlin albums when I was a kid growing up, um, and and would fall asleep to to one on my turntable, and it would shut off at night. So I, I, George Carlin, I, I've always been a huge fan. And I was in the car just last week, and I still I have like a George Carlin comedy album on my in my you know, like music on my phone, and I was going through my playlist, and I came across that I was like. Hey, Reese, have you listened to George Carlin at all? Do you know who George Carlin is? And he goes, "Oh yeah, I like George Carlin because he is the voice of Thomas on (laughs) Thomas and Company, Thomas the Tank Engine." And that's how he knows George Carlin is as a voice of cartoon (laughs) trains. And I just, I was, yeah. I was blown away by that. And I was like, well, I'll tell you what, let's turn you on to the seven words you can't say on I was going to
1: say, this is a little <laughs> bit off of Thomas. This is like Tommy.
2: Chugga, chugga, choo, choo.
1: <laughs> yeah, I stand by four chugas.
2: If you have a different answer on chugga, chugas, or if you want to reinforce one of these answers, tell us who is right. We want you to give us a call to uh, 414-586-2777. Leave us a voicemail. That's the Fox 6 investigators tip line. It is now also the Chugga Chugga tip line 414-586-2777. Of course,
0: I'm going to be so sad when we unsurprisingly get more voicemails (laughs) about Chugga 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 than we do about actual news.
2: My favorite part is we're not going to tell producer, producer Pete about Pete. this because <laughs> he will check the tip line and think the world has gone absolutely mad. So please, if you are listening, yeah. If you are listening to this podcast and you could call 414-586-2777, I want you to deadpan this too. I don't want you to set it up. I want you to answer how many chugga-chuggas before the choo-choo because we're going to wait and see what Pete says.
1: Okay? Because he'll send an email summary and it'll say... Call one, call two, and then seven calls about chuggas. What if he logs
2: this completely straight faced? Like he just gives But never us- says
1: anything. What if he doesn't say a word and just keeps living his life knowing how many chugga voicemails we got? Uh-huh.
2: Sue from Weldon Spring, Missouri says it's four chugga chuggas, and then he just writes that down. Uh. <laughs> If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on open record, an issue you think we should investigate, or if you want to tell us how many chugga-chuggas there <laughs> ought to be before the choo-choo, send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. This has gone off the rails. <laughs> pun intended. Zay. Pun I intended. Don't
0: know if I can read this next fox6investigators
2: the... at fox.com.
0: <laughs> well, as always... Thank you to all the people who make this National Murrow (laughs) (laughs) Award-winning podcast possible, including Producer Pete, who I hope gets some really great voicemails, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. So with that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire managed to get it together for the end of this episode for brian polson we'll be back next week
2: (laughs) chug-a-chug-a-choo-choo